I think it needs to be louder. <laughs> Mr. Wynn. <laughs> my people, hear my teaching. Listen. What are you doing? My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed the statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and then chapter 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appealing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And from chapter 3. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 
while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you know the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, thank you, Nick and Bruce and Charlotte. Wonderful to have three generations up the front reading the Bible for us and providing commentary on the way. Let's, <laughs> let's pray. Our loving Father, what a rich life you give us and uh, we want to stop and pause and thank you for uh, our grandparents, any surrogate grandparents, those people who have poured themselves into our lives and uh, have done good for us. Thank you so much for them. And uh, thank you for the gift of grandchildren as well. And as we pause and just spend a moment thinking about what this aspect of our lives, please help us see the relevance of it to all of us, whether or not we're married and have children or grandchildren ourselves. Uh, for we all came from somewhere and we all have an impact, potential impact upon others. So please open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me reiterate my uh, welcome to you today, particularly if you've come here um, on invitation, you're a grandparent, you're a grandchild, uh, it's wonderful to see you today. And welcome. Grandchildren, of course, are a gift. This last year, Narelle and I became grandparents to little Noni and Freddie. Our hearts are full. Oh my goodness. We couldn't be more delighted. Uh, it's made me appreciate, with just new eyes, the blessing grandchildren, of course, can be to grandparents. I think I knew that, but now I know it, All right? And then hopefully the blessing that goes the other way, vice versa. Grandparents are a gift to us. Most of us knew our, who knew our grandparents will have some positive memories, the stories they've told, the love they've given us, the things they've taught us, their steady presence. And even if our memories are not great, because it's, you know, people are people, uh, sins there, um, or even if our grandparents weren't really there in our lives as we've heard today, the, the reality is they were the ones who gave us life, right? So just in the Bible, like in the genealogies, you know, when you read this person begat that person who begat that person, you think that's a pretty funny thing to say, begat. Um, it means gave life to. Our grandparents give us life. They've brought us into being through, I mean, the Lord brought us into being through them. If you were to draw your family tree, it would tell a story of who you are. People love this today, actually, because increasingly people don't know who they are. We're dislocated, we're anchorless, and you, therefore there's the rise of DNA testing, of Ancestry.com, of TV shows like Who Do You Think You Are? or Every Family Has a Secret. Good on you, Noni Hazelhurst. We want to know who we are, right? Our grandparents are part of our story. But a celebration of grandparents today also goes the other way. It doesn't just go backwards in time, it goes forwards in time. In the Bible, of course, genealogies, family trees link people of history not just to their past, 
but also to their future, to future generations who will come from them, a future that the person at the time cannot see, but later generations will see, they'll look back and see the tapestry that God has made. And that is significant for today. On Grandparents Sunday, we're not just talking about people with gray hair like me. Uh, We're talking about people who are in our church who are under 10, who may very well themselves grow in the fullness of time to be grandparents. In our growth group on Wednesday night, we were thinking about grandparents and we then prayed with thanks for the children of our church for them becoming grandparents, and then for the children who would come from them after that. It was very odd to pray for people quite a few generations down the track from us now, realizing that if the Lord answers these prayers, it will probably be an answer given after we ourselves have breathed our last, right? But we prayed anyway, why? Because God is eternal, and because an eternal God can still answer prayers prayed generations ago for the people yet to come, right? So Grandparents Sunday stretches us back in time and forwards in time. Looking forwards, I am really looking forward to my relationship with my grandchildren growing, Uh, being able to love them, encourage them, spend time with them, get to know them, train them up in the Lord, be with them. Looking backwards, the other way to my own grandparents, I remember Nana Fell. Thelma. She would just hug me tight. I remember the tightness of her hugs. She was a laugher. She would laugh and laugh. She'd flip endless pikelets on her, um, you know, her electrical um, you know, fry pan thingy on the orange laminate cook bench top, you know, while we'd sit there and just gobble them up and just tell her jokes and things. Pa used to slip a dollar coin in my pocket with a wink and a smile. It was his way of saying, I love you. Nana Reen, very stern woman, I have to say. But she, I have memories of her playing card games with us. I can't remember my other grandfather, Poppy. He died when I was one. What I do remember is, of course, when I was six or seven and learning about him and then grieving for him, for the relationship that I never had with him. And I remember I drew him a picture, but then I went out in the garden. I didn't know how to get it to him. Right? Grief. It's the nature of memories, isn't it? And families, there's fondness, there's sadness. People we knew well, people we know well, people we never knew or knew very little. I don't know the details of your own circumstances, your families, but I hope that today our time in the Bible will be helpful as we now dip into what the Bible says about grandparents. First, we're looking at Psalm 78, which speaks of the delight of the generations, right? Then the book of 2 Timothy where we see the personal impact of a grandparent's input. And then after that, I want us all to think about ourselves being grandparents today, regardless of whether we have children or not. Okay, intrigued? Here we go. We begin in Psalm 78, a long psalm which speaks of the delight of generations. Uh, It's 72 verses long, it's a long psalm, but It's long because, not just at 72 verses long, but because it speaks of this span of generations, both before it was penned by Asaph. Asaph was a contemporary of King David, 1000 BC, 3000 years ago. 
So it speaks of times before him, Israel's ancestors, and then the generations that would come after its hearers. And when you think about it, that includes us, doesn't it? And it also includes the generations who'll come after us who'll also read this psalm. It begins by acknowledging the things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have taught us, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And then the conviction that we will not hide them from our ancestors' descendants, we will tell the next generation. Now, I used to love, as a child, sitting round the table with my grandparents listening to their stories. Uh, stories of a time when the world was different, when I didn't exist, when they were young, when their skin was smooth and their hair was golden or brown, you know, like. My grandfather left school when he was 14. He was a sprinter. He sprinted for money. He had to do that to keep food on the table for his family. Imagine that. My grandmother was an artist before photo catalogues came out advertising what was there. Her job, she was employed by one of the big department stores in town and she would sketch out women's fashion advertisements for catalogues and she would show us, she had this smooth flowing hair and suddenly a, a lady would appear before us looking you know, perfect and glamorous and wonderful. It was amazing. You know, but as much as I loved listening to them and spending time with them, that was so great. My, my just great regret is that none of them ever shared any stories with me about the Lord and what he'd done. Because I don't think they were ever told those stories. They didn't know him, you see. And maybe you're here on invitation today, and maybe that's you too. Maybe, maybe all you know are some vague story outlines that perhaps you got fed as a child, but they're just glimpses now. Or maybe you do know the stories, but truth be told, these stories, frankly, are not your stories. Because the Lord is someone who you'd, you wouldn't say you knew personally as your heavenly father. It's the stories in the Bible, what Christians believe, but not for you. Or maybe you do know these stories and they do resonate with you. You know, the stories that are spoke of in Psalm 78 are the stories of God's dealings with the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who's, who, who's biologically descended from Abraham and who knows it to be the case. Probably not many of us, but who knows, right? Family trees are very complex, right? And more detail in them than we, we know. But even though you may not be physically descended from Abraham, nevertheless, these stories are the stories of our own spiritual history. Why do I say that? Because the God whom Abraham worshipped is the one true God of all the world, your creator, your sustainer, the one who loves you. And the people in the stories, they are people like you and me. They are people with multiple dimensions, with flaws, with weaknesses, with loves, with delights, with hates, with all of that. And also, you know, salvation and blessing ultimately would come to everyone through Abraham's greater son, Jesus, of course, who died 
for the sins of the world and rose as the savior of all the world. Now that makes these stories of Israel stories of our spiritual ancestry, actually. And if they're our stories, the task of each new generation is to pass these stories on to the next for the sake of the generation that comes after them and the generation that comes after that. Verse five, God decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children so that the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, you see. So the task for each of us is to tell the next generation stories of God's involvement with his people, with the aim that the next generation and the next generation would know them and, and keep passing them on, you see. That is our task, and that is our delight. You know, every parent wants so many good things for their kids, don't they? Every grandparent wants this too because they've lived and they've been around the block a few times and they know that life can be hard and the lessons painful. Grandparents have the perspective of years and the wisdoms that comes through decades of life's tutelage. If you have decades of knowing the Lord, you will know that the other normal struggles for exam marks and job prospects and sporting performance and physical looks, you know, achievement in these are, well, they're good, but they're not everything. They are not everything. They are not the sum and substance of life. What matters ultimately is with a person is, is in personal relationship with the Lord and walking in it, right? And that is the whole point of passing on Bible stories. It's not just so that we pass on a, a kind of Christian cultural tapestry, that this is the, the, you know, the, the, the background within which we live our lives. It's, it's not that. It's so the next generation would know these stories, even to children yet to be born, that they would tell their children. Then, verse seven, they would put their trust in the Lord and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So the point of passing on the stories is that each new generation, verse seven, would put their personal trust in God, they'll have a relationship with him, and that they wouldn't forget the gospel, the deeds he has done, the saving, his saving acts in, in, in saving us. And that then they would walk with him, they would keep his commands. That's the purpose. And it's each grandparent's delight, of course, to tell their grandchildren their stories, but it's our particular and special delight to tell stories which will grow our grandchildren in their relationship with the Lord and you know, input into their development of faith. Now, what if they don't believe? <laughs> you know, we all have our own decisions, don't we? And grandchildren grow up and they have to work out, will they or won't they take on this for themselves? Well, what if they don't believe? Well, uh, I'm speaking to Christian grandparents now. Uh, I want to say that the stories themselves that you pass on are our comfort. The Bible stories span generations. God has a long perspective on time. He's extremely patient with people. 
They give us a long perspective, these stories of an eternal God who is committed to answering prayers made generations before and which can become reality after your, you, your generation, you, you have passed. And you may have noticed that in these stories, of course, the track record of the people isn't great. You read the rest of Psalm 72, and he goes through a lot of the stories in summary form. It would be a great thing to do when you get home. You realize that God has a lot of experience dealing with human sin and wayward people, all right? But nevertheless, peppered between acts of human sin and walking away and rebellion and is God's faithfulness, God stepping in to put things right, God coming back again and again over and over and it is very good for your soul to read this and to reflect on it. You could do it this afternoon. Ultimately, the twin lines that, that come out in this, this psalm of sort of human sin and God's faithful and loving commitment to save, they, they, those twin lines track through the centuries like railway tracks following the same course and on the horizon they meet and the point at which they meet in the Bible is the cross, the cross of Jesus. That is where human sin explodes because what could be more sinful than crucifying the innocent son of God? But that is where the trim tracks of God's love and faithfulness and his action to save also meets human sin and in a majestic, powerful way, God steps into human history and in a very act of human sin, he's working sovereignly and turns it into his great way of saving people and then forging a way for wayward people like you and me and the generations after us to come back in his fatherly embrace of forgiveness and restoration. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. This is our comfort. That is our delight. Even when we may grow older and it seems like the influence on our grandchildren was a thing of the past and we don't see them as much and they've heard all the stories we've had to say anyway. For your encouragement, now I want to show you a real example of the personal long-term impact of a grandparent's input, okay? And for this we go to the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is elderly, he's in prison, he's alone, he's been deserted by his companions. Winter is coming, he's feeling the cold. He says his life is being poured out like a drink offering. It is in fact not long before he will die, history says, in the Roman Colosseum. He met his end. This is Paul's final letter of all the New Testament letters that he writes. It's his final one and he writes to his young protege in ministry, Timothy. Timothy is elsewhere, he is a different, different city, he is leading a church in Ephesus. But Timothy has been finding the going tough. There are false teachers who are splitting the church, who are promoting controversy, who are creating fights, who are destroying the faith of some and Timothy has to deal with them. There's a large contingent in the congregation who want Timothy just to say anything, um, but only, only what they want to hear. Nothing challenging, 
just please be pleasantly affirming and just allow us to keep our love of money and pleasure and ourselves alive, but don't make us too fanatical about God, please. As for Paul, he's being dished on in that church as it has been. Forget Paul, forget his message, look where he is now, deserted, in prison. Move on, Timothy. You don't have to read too deeply between the lines to realize that Timothy isn't just feeling the temptation to distance himself from Paul, his father in the faith, but also he's tempted to give up his ministry and even his faith. He's at a pretty low point. Now I want you to imagine that you are the Apostle Paul and you're in prison and you're writing to Timothy one last time. What possibly are you going to say in your letter to Timothy to persuade him to hang on and not give up? What is the thing that you will say? Are you gonna just talk about the hope of heaven? It'll be worth it. Will you be talk, talking about Jesus, that you know what he's like and, and he's real, he's true? Well, Paul does do those things but talk of Jesus, well, that was someone who was on the earth before Timothy and he'd never met him personally. And talking about heaven is a long way in the future to Timothy. What could Paul say that would resonate with Timothy in Timothy's own life experience to make him stay the course? Well, after acknowledging in chapter three that there is much that's discouraging for Timothy in the present, Paul says, well, just get your expectations right. You're not experiencing anything new. Chapter three, verse 11, you know about my persecutions, my sufferings, the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Lystra was Timothy's hometown. It was the same town where Paul had been stoned and left, to, left for dead. Paul says, you know what happened there, don't you? Yep, I saw it. You know about these things, the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, he's involved, you see. He's, he's involved in our lives and what's happening. And then Paul says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, so just set your expectations right. Calibrate your life expectations around that truth. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, okay, necessary for Paul to say, but not enough in itself to persuade Timothy to continue. So what is Paul going to say that will persuade Timothy to hang in there. Now it comes. I want you to listen carefully. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Why? Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you pick it up? Why Timothy should continue in what he's learned and become convinced of? What's the reason why he should keep going and not just jettison what he grew up with? Why, what was the reason? 
Yes, Paul takes him back to what he'd been taught from his infancy, the scriptures, meaning at that time the Old Testament scriptures because the New Testament hadn't yet been written and compiled. But when you know those stories, Paul says, and you combine them with faith in Christ Jesus, that makes you wise for salvation. That's why, by the way, it's good to teach children the stories of the Old Testament, okay? So Paul takes him back to the stories that Timothy was raised on, but that's not the main reason Paul gives Timothy for keeping on going. The reason he gives is a person. As for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of because why? You know those from whom you've learned it. The reason, actually the reasons, are people. Those who taught Timothy from his infancy, which people? You go back to chapter one, verse five, that second reading, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. It's interesting that neither Timothy's father nor grandfather are mentioned, probably because we know from Acts 16, Timothy's father was a Greek. So a Greek, presumably a non-believer, married a Jewish believer. Complicated, right? His mother and grandmother had a sincere faith, Jewish women. They didn't hear of Jesus until Paul hit their village, but they loved the Lord and they knew the stories and those stories combined with news of Jesus made them wise for salvation. They had taught Timothy the Bible from his infancy. Now can you see therefore the personal, long-term impact of teaching children the Bible? when they're little. Can you see it? Here is Timothy, long after that, no longer an infant, now an adult, now a church leader, 500 miles from where he grew up, and he is having a hard time, a season of discouragement so severe that he's tempted to throw in the towel. And the main reason why Paul gives him as to why he should keep on going in what he's learned and become convinced of is because remember your mum and remember your grandmother. He says, you know them. You know them. You know that they weren't fakes. Paul's already said in the letter, you know I'm not a fake. Yes, and I was the father in the faith. I shared Jesus with you. That's more than that, more than just me. Your mother and grandmother, their faith was sincere. It was real. You know they weren't faking it, they were genuine. They believed. Now, of course, we have no way of knowing when was the last time Timothy spoke with them. For all they, we know, they, they might have died. But certainly, it's true, if Timothy stayed in Ephesus, he couldn't duck home to spend some time for their encouragement. Okay, not 500 miles away. But the long-term impact of teaching Timothy the scriptures from his infancy went way beyond his childhood years. Any investment in this regard in a child goes way beyond just the period of time that you're teaching them, right? This is encouraging for our kids' leaders, okay? That ministry back then still kept ministering to Timothy in his adult years, perhaps even beyond the lifetime of the people that taught him. So grandparents, please don't underestimate the long-term impact that you can have of your grandchildren. This is an impact 
that could well last way beyond your earthly lifespan. An input into their life that they can keep drawing on right throughout their adult life. I find that immensely encouraging and immensely motivating. Now what if you don't have access to your grandchildren? Or what if they're no longer children and they're no longer sitting at your feet listening to your stories? You can pray because prayers to an eternal God across generations are never wasted. You and I have finite lifespans, but God does not. He can answer our prayers well after our days on earth are over and he won't forget them. So pray. Finally, last point for all of us, being grandparents today. All of us, right? Family trees and genealogies remind us that unless the Lord returns, there will be generations of people who will come after us. For many of us, chances are we ourselves will become grandparents, as miraculously happened to myself and Narelle this year. What if you don't have children? What if you never have children? What if you don't have grandchildren? Well, I want to say that the wonderful thing about believing in Jesus is that suddenly and wonderfully you become part of another family. In a way, more substantial than the biological family that you came from. Why do I say that? Because after all, isn't blood thicker than water? Yes, it is, but it's not eternal. But to be part of a family of faith, to be part of a church family, is to be part of a family that will last way beyond death and you'll be with forever. You're part of an eternal family. This is a rich gift that comes to anyone when they become a Christian. Um, This opens up, can I say, vast new applications on a day like today. Because in a family of faith where we are brothers and sisters in Christ and where we've heard Paul was a father in faith to Timothy, one generation down, in a family of faith like that, each of us therefore will have opportunity to be grandparents in the faith to people, to children in this church. My own children, three girls, were raised at Trinity City. They have had, I have to say, so many parents, aunties, uncles, grandparents in the faith. Narelle was telling me, uh, where are you Narelle? Oh, she's out with minis, doing this job. Um, She told me this week, she heard somewhere on some American podcast, they know these things, um, that if they've done studies, if your child is part of a church and 12 people at church know them by name and can greet them by name, they have much more likelihood of continuing on in the faith just because they're part of a family, right? Do you know the names of children who are here? Can you welcome them by name when they walk in? I hope you can. If you can't, you should introduce yourself to them. You think, I don't know how to do that. You get down, you get on their level so that you're not domineering over them. You smile. (laughs) You say, hello. (laughs) My name is this. What's yours? And they'll talk to you. And you start a relationship with them. Um, Looking at the ministry forms with Moz this week, we do need kids' leaders for next year, okay? We still actually do. Michael's over here sort of running kids' church. Yes, yes. Okay, we need people who say yes. Uh, 
people who are strong in the gospel, who are sincere in their faith, who aren't hypocrites, but who will model Christ as well as teach him. Uh, the reality is that even though we don't have, uh, sorry, even if you're not a, a kid's leader or something like that, you can still be a grandparent in the faith because our kids watch and they're very attentive and they'll know that there are people who are older than them who've been through hard times. And later on when they go through a hard time, they can look back and they can say, I remember he used to sit here and he was with his wife until he wasn't. But he kept coming and I know he kept serving her at home. And he kept his faith in Jesus. Right? We have relationships here in church. Um, I think, excuse me, Terry, you said you're sort of a grandparent in the faith to Evan Cox, guitar grandparent, right? Um, Ellis, who meets with Joseph Bellamy fortnightly over a milkshake in a cafe. Intentionality, right? Forming relationships, showing an interest. The fruit will come. Maybe in 40 years. I look back when I, I, my parents nor grandparents had a relationship with the Lord. I don't think they would call themselves Christians. They certainly weren't churchgoers. Um, God was not someone that you talked about at home. But I became a Christian as a teenager and in my little church, little Anglican church, where the people loved one another and the Bible was taught, it was just sort of an unimpressive place, but it was good, it was genuine. And I joined a Wednesday morning men's breakfast I used to meet from 6.30 to 7.30. I just wanted to hang around the old guys, right? And I was the youngest there by 25 years. Uh, the only one in my generation there, but I, I just wanted to spend time with the older men. I think inwardly I was grieving that my dad wasn't like that for me. And I so wished that that, well, he's still alive, that that would happen, you know, but neither was my grandparents. I was looking for fathers in the faith, actually who'd invest in me and encourage me. Um, I've forgotten where I'm up to. Okay, so, okay. Um, we have a chance to pass on a legacy, of course, to children who are currently born, which will extend beyond our earthly years. We have a chance to pass on a legacy to children yet to be born through the impact that we will have on children now who'll become future parents and grandparents in the faith to others. What if you're not a person of faith yourself? What if you've come kindly today, you find yourself being spoken to? Sorry about that, all right. Of course there are many things you can pour into the lives of your grandchildren, they will remember and love, and that you've got so much to offer them, don't you? But I do wanna say gently, and suggest gently, that in one respect you're missing out your and your grandchildren are missing out um, on being able to share with them stories of faith which you hold as your own. Um, my own grandparents, I remember them trying fumblingly to explain things to them before they died. And one just left it too late. She had dementia. One just put up barriers and wouldn't listen. One squeezed my hand when that was all she could do and I don't know what was in that, whether she was accepting or not. But regardless of their reaction, from the perspective of a grandson who just wanted 
them to share the same relationship with the Lord that I had. My not being able to talk to them about God was a grief. Um, I would have loved to be able to sit down and talk with them about how he had encouraged them in their life, stories of answered prayers. I would have loved to hear what Bible verses were their, their main ones which resonated with them and which they held precious, which hung on, they hung on to and got them through difficult times. I would have loved that. And, and the fact that that's missing from my ancestral heritage is a grief to me. If you have believing grandchildren, of course, they would love to be able to do these things to you. And now I want to just suggest another thought that they can. Because your own position, and maybe no one ever taught you the stories, I don't know your, your position. Maybe there's a reason. It doesn't need to stay that way. You can actually move from unbelief to belief. When you think about it, everyone who went from not knowing God to knowing God Actually, they made that transition themselves at some point, and you can. It's not something that just can only happen in your childhood years or your teenage years. You can do it. And the thought that you too could become grandparents in the faith to those who are your grandchildren, what a rich dimension of grandparenthood that you can also enjoy. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we are just so delighted that you put us in families which span generations and we thank you that if Christ doesn't return, there'll be generations after us. Doesn't return yet. Um, our loving Father, we thank you for our grandparents. We thank you for those who've invested so much love into our lives. We thank you for the gift of life. Um, all of them were flawed in their own ways, so help us to grow in our capacity for forgiveness and understanding as well. But we pray for the generations after us and for our own ministry and impact upon the lives of those yet to be born, that you, the eternal God and Father, would enable our investment in people now to yield dividends beyond our earthly life. And we pray this with thanksgiving. Amen.